This is On The Left Side, the funny football show. This is the very first step towards destroying Wembley's iconic status. Okay, this is the first step and I'm not impressed with it at all. This is the show where we throw away tactics, discard opinion and kick statistics in the balls. The lighter side of football, I'm Jim. Let's pod. This week has probably been the most exciting in the history of the new Wembley Stadium and not even a single ball has been kicked. It looks like the Football Association are about to flog the home of English football to the highest bidder after American businessman and Fulham owner Sahid Khan filled their footballing G-string with great big dirty wads of cash. Around 600 million of them in fact. Every homeowner will know what this is like. You might be happy where you live. You may even love your home. But if someone comes along and makes you a great offer that far exceeds what you paid for it, then you're going to pack your bags and explain to your kids that you might be sleeping in a tent for the next few weeks. What? The stadium costs £757 million to build. £157 more than Khan is offering to buy it for. Jesus. Maybe England are just following West Ham's example of having a nice new stadium that someone else pays for. If they're truly going to follow the West Ham model for stadiums, though, they're going to make sure they have to give the fans nice, easy access to the owners' section so they can hurl abuse at them rather than watch the football. Can we just check that Khan is actually putting in a bid for the stadium? Given some of the ticket prices that I've seen for the FA Cup final, he might have just been trying to buy a ticket. Let's not get carried away with this. At the end of the day, it's essentially just a football stadium and the deal is essentially just a real estate deal. Isn't that right, Swansea boss Carlos Cavalla? Wembley is a, is, is a monument in my opinion, so if we'll sell Wembley, we'll, save, uh, we'll sell Big Ben after this and Buckingham Palace. It's not really the same though, is it? Big Ben is a symbol of our government, a founding father of modern democracy and all we stand for as a nation. Buckingham Palace is a symbol of our royal family, our history, and the Commonwealth's strength. The new Wembley is a symbol of, well, consistent disappointment, overpriced hot dog, and a few U2 concerts. I'm not sure it's the same. The details of any deal and what that means are a little sketchy at the moment. Will his NFL team, Jacksonville Jaguars, play there? Will it continue to be the home of England after the purchase? Will Fulham, with their average attendance of 19,000, move into the new 90,000-seater Wembley Stadium? And will Wembley finally get a fully retractable roof? The answer to the last one is yes, probably. That's one of the pledges made by Khan, who, to be fair, seems to have so much money that I wouldn't be that shocked if he added rocket boosters and a giant laser into the mix too. He's already got a Bond villain look with that massive twirly moustache, so he might as well complete the vibe. The FA say the money from any deal will be reinvested back into grassroots football. And by that, I hope they don't mean the massive lawn outside Martin Glenn's palatial mansion. But we will have to wait and see how it all pans out. Personally, I'd be rather cautious of any deal that starts off sounding like one of those scam emails. Hello, I am an American businessman. I have $600 million I wish to deposit into your bank account. And all I need from you is the deeds to your national stadium. I suppose when you think about it, there's a good argument for not having a permanent home for the England team. Everyone seemed to enjoy it when the new Wembley was being built and England played their home games all over the country. And if you really miss travelling to the nation's capital to watch some overpriced, under-inspiring soccer, 
then there's always plenty of seats at West Ham's ground. I'd like to see England travelling around the globe, playing games like some kind of footballing hobo. But if they do do that, they're going to need to learn the lingo. We should never forget that football is a world game. Right across the globe, the beautiful game has been adopted, loved and developed. And one part of that has splintered more than any other. It's language. The terms that fans use on the terraces and supporters use to discuss their team. Tom Williams is a football writer and has spent the last year looking at the quirky language of football. And he stuck it all in a new book called Do You Speak Football? And he's agreed to tell us more. Welcome to On The Left Side, Tom. Hello. So, Tom, you've written a book. It's called Do You Speak Football? It's all about how fans talk about the beautiful game around the world, essentially. Yes, um, and not just the fans. Some of the terms in the book are things that have come from the mouths of famous commentators or from the famous football writers. There's the odd thing that is something that a footballer once had and was seized upon. So it's basically, the idea at least, is that it's about how the whole world talks about football. With the French, I mean, that's only just across the channel from England. So do they not just have like French versions of the same sentences? Do they not have like, le grand feet for le grand man? There is some crossover. One discovery that I that I made was that the English expression fox in the box um, actually comes from France. There's a very similar French expression, renard des surfaces, which, which basically means fox of the boxes, fox of the penalty areas. And you can pinpoint quite precisely the moment that this phrase crossed the channel, if you like. And Did it, it involve Francis Jeffers? Was that the, the, the pivotal person? Well, it, it, it did involve Francis Jeffers, yeah. And if you go back a few months, before Francis Jeffers joined Arsenal, it was the 2001 FA Cup final at the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff, Arsenal and Liverpool. Arsenal go a goal up, absolutely batter Liverpool, and then Michael Owen scores a couple of goals. In the mix zone afterwards, Thierry Henry was talking to some of the French journalists, and he said, oh, what we need is a Renard des a fox of the penalty areas. And then when Arsenal signed Francis Jeffers later that summer, he said himself, oh, perhaps this is the fox in the box everyone's been talking about. If you look on the internet prior to that summer of 2001, the expression didn't exist in English at all. Well, one of my favourite ones from the book is all down to a tour from Dundee United. Yes, this is one of the most surprising discoveries. In certain parts of Nigeria, the expression Dundee United is used as a metaphor for idiot, which is quite, it's quite hard to believe, but having looked into it, Dundee United went on top in Nigeria in 1972, and it was a disaster. They played five matches. They only won one of them. There were a lot of injuries. Jim McLean, the manager, complained about the pitches, about the heat and the humidity. And the United's hosts took a dim view of, of their complaints. And as a result, Dundee United passed into the local lexicon as as a synonym for idiots. So amazing. If you're, a, if you're a Dundee United fan in, in Lagos, you'd probably want to <laughs> leave your replica shirt at home. What's your favourite then? You've found all these new phrases. Are there any that you've gone, I'm having that, that is getting into my football vocabulary. I'm using that in day-to-day conversation now. There are loads. There are loads. And it was finding phrases for things that don't have names in English. That, that was something I found really interesting. Mm. Like, um, you think about the skill move that involves a player knocking the ball past 
an opponent on one side and running past him to collect it on the other. Now, in, in France, they call that a grand pont, a big bridge. In Spain, it's an auto pass, like a self pass. In Brazil, they call it a dribble de vaca, like a cow dribble. I like that. And the story, that, the story there is supposedly that this came from people playing football on farmlands where you might have cows drifting past, <laughs> and you'd have to knock the ball past them to get, you know, to get around them. And in Britain, we've never thought to name that piece of skill, and it is no. one of the most straightforward bits of skill that you see. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have a name. So yeah, there were a lot. There was, there was one that I quite liked in Hungary. Uh, when you get a goalkeeper who flaps at crosses, uh, their word for that is lepkevadas, uh, and that translates as butterfly hunter. So the idea is that the goalkeeper who's flapping at crosses is basically standing there with a big net in his hands, vainly trying to catch butterflies as they flutter past. That is nice. Over here, we just call that the Claudio Bravo, of course. That's the term uh, yes, for that well, kind of yeah. goalkeeper. I always remember how Eskimos like, have hundreds of different words for snow. I like the fact that you can kind of translate that to football and there's hundreds of different words for things like nutmeg, for example. Yes. Oh, I mean, I think nutmeg is probably the term that, that exists in the highest number of, of different countries. I mean, there wasn't a single country that I wrote about that didn't have a name for a nutmeg. I mean, in Austria, they call it a gherkin. In Argentina, and I think in other Spanish-speaking countries, a phrase you use when you've nutmegged someone is next time wear a cassock. Right. The thinking being that the long fabric will prevent you from being nutmegged. That so sounds like, very long-winded to offer fashion advice in the middle of a football game. It sounds a little bit long-winded, but what it's meant that is that the, the Spanish word for cassock, which is, which is sotana, that is now used as a metaphor for nutmegging in Argentina and various Spanish-speaking countries because of the, that, that insult that, that was used when uh, when players were not made. Incredible. Tom, it sounds like an amazing book. I'm, I'm into this. Do You Speak Football? It's out for all good booksellers now. Good luck with it. I hope it does really well. Certainly sounds like it deserves to. Thanks very much. Cheers. That's it for another show. See you very soon. Or as they say in France, uh, see you very soon. They speak very good English in France. If you enjoy the show, make sure you spread the message on social media and tell your friends so they can get a taste of the football goodness. The next show will be on Thursday. We will see you then. And if you subscribed, it will pop straight into your ears when we hit go. See you soon. Bye. On the Left Side is written and produced by Jim Salverson and Dan McGinley for Abrupt Audio. I would like to wish my fellow manager, Ferguson, well and very quickly.